So we are continuing our series this morning on becoming like Jesus. It's just been so lovely to spend some time just resting in his presence there in worship, hasn't it? Um, And remember last term, we talked about apprentices to Jesus having three goals. To be with their master, to become like their master, and to do what he did. Well, this term we're focusing on becoming like Jesus. Richard introduced it a couple of weeks ago by talking about grace. And grace is our starting point. We don't beat ourselves with a big stick because we're not like Jesus. We recognize that we're on a journey. Uh, We're not like Jesus just yet, but our goal is to become like him. And I can't wait until I become like Jesus, because that's going to be amazing. And I really can't wait until you all become like Jesus too, because that's going to be amazing. But all of us who are followers of Jesus are on this journey. And last week, Jack spoke about forgiveness um, sort of on how we can forgive others. And this week, while I'm going to touch on forgiveness, my focus is going to be on reconciliation, which, um, as you'll see, is the end point of the forgiveness process. If you're anything like me, you not only need to forgive others, but you also need to ask for forgiveness. Just ask my wife and boys. So so this morning we're going to be focusing less on us forgiving people who have hurt us uh, and more on forgiving and reconciling with those that we have hurt. And this is where it gets a bit tricky because our society seems to say that whenever there's conflict or difficulty in a relationship, you know, if it's too big to ignore, you might just want to leave that relationship. Because working through conflict, well, it's a bit awkward. It's a bit embarrassing. Um, and I don't know about you, but any of you just a little bit, um, you know, dislike embarrassment? I, I, I really dislike embarrassment. I remember <clears throat> many years ago doing a sketch at work, and um, I had just one line to remember. It was part of a training course, and I just this one line to remember, and it was important because the next person would repeat it, and then the next person, and then it, it was the punchline of the whole sketch. And you can maybe guess what happened. Um, I got the line completely wrong, and the whole sketch flopped. And it was just so embarrassing uh, and really awkward with my team afterwards. Um, So many of us don't like awkward situations. So rather than working through conflict, um, we often just check out. Um, And the other reason we don't deal with conflict, I think, is because actually working through conflict is really hard work. And there's no guarantee of success. So so many in our culture simply just choose to, to leave the relationship Well, our vision here at Three Counties Church is to develop authentic relationships, or part of our vision. And it doesn't mean there's no disagreement. Um, Actually, there's been some robust uh, debate and conversation on Facebook about the Passion Translation recently, which I'm glad to say has been respectful and loving. So please keep that up. We actually want this church to be a place where we can share views, hear different perspectives, disagree and disagree well, um, and even change our views based on new information. But actually, we always intend to do that in a way that's loving and respectful. 
Our vision to develop authentic relationships doesn't mean there will be no hurt or conflict. Not this side of heaven anyway. But what it does mean is that we work through hurt and conflict to develop and to maintain solid, authentic relationships. So, if you've got a Bible, let's look at what Jesus has to say. Um, You can turn with me or swipe with me to Luke chapter 17, and we'll start right at the beginning in verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. So, point one here, there is going to be trouble. Everybody hurts sometimes, as R.E.M. sang back in the 90s, for those of you that can remember the 90s. And you're probably going to hurt someone sometime, as R.E.M. didn't sing about, but, but it's also true. Because Jesus is brutally honest about the human condition. You will hurt people through what you say or do or don't say and don't do. And sometimes you're going to know that you've done it. And sometimes, particularly for you men out there, you won't have a clue what you've done. But Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. He says, but woe to anyone through whom they come. So second point here, it's, it's not okay. And Jesus continues, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Third point, it's serious. It's millstone around the neck serious. Um, Actually, sin always is, uh, although I don't think Jesus was particularly being literal. I can imagine that was a a sort of well-known sort of figure of speech or metaphor in his day. But he was making the point that it's very, very serious. Try not to hurt or trip up anyone else. He reinforces it by saying, so watch yourselves. Be careful. Be on your guard. You're playing with people's lives. He continues, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So fourth point, if somebody hurts you, then call it out. Talk to them about it. Don't just brush it under the rug or sweep it under the carpet or whatever the phrase is. Don't just ignore it. We're not called as Christians or as followers of Jesus to be doormats. Jesus is pretty clear about this. If someone has hurt you, then let them know. But then he says, and if they repent, forgive them. So, fifth point, don't hold it against them. Obviously, easier said than done. But Jesus calls us to forgive completely and from the heart. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So the sixth point, keep forgiving. Work to keep the relationship alive. John Mark Comer has helpfully summarized Jesus' teaching in this passage as follows. We all hurt people. That does not make it okay. Be careful to do that as little as you can. If someone hurts you, talk talk to them about it. If they repent, forgive them. Repeat as necessary and fight to keep your relationships alive and well. And I quite like that little summary. And notice that the goal is reconciliation. 
Forgiveness is really important. And it brings healing to your soul to, to forgive. But actually, in the way of Jesus, that isn't the end goal. It's just step one. Step two is about healing the relationship. Because both your soul and the soul of the person that hurt you matter to Jesus. And actually, Jesus is trying to create community. And for this, we need reconciliation. Because community is about living life together. And Jesus knew, as well as we know, that our sin and the sin of others distort how we do life together. But he also knew that forgiveness would be the catalyst for relationships to be restored. And living in community the way Jesus taught means we have to do the hard work of reconciliation. Because reconciliation actually isn't just about the individuals concerned, but it's also deeply connected to the life and the health of the community that we're part of. Forgiveness can be defined this way. Our personal act to release the one who wronged us from our personal right to collect on the moral debt or to pay them back for their offense with or without their participation in the process. And it sounds good. We, we kind of know it's right. But the problem is that it's not easy. And actually, neither is the act of asking for forgiveness. As any of you who are parents will know, you've got to teach children how to say sorry. It just doesn't happen naturally. I remember my boys were probably six months and two and a half, and the uh, oldest had a plastic hammer. And, and he went towards my youngest, holding the hammer out, ready to bring it down on his head, saying, bang. And I quickly stopped him and said, no, no, you, you can't hit your brother in the head. Did, was there an apology? Not at all. Um, instead, he said, little bang. To which we had to say, no, you can't even do a little bang on your brother's head. But it's important for us to be able to deal well with the times that we hurt someone, not like the child who's forced by a parent to say sorry and does so through gritted teeth. And I want to spend just a little bit of time focusing on this quite practically. So first up is how to deal with the times, or sorry, how not to deal with the times when we wrong or hurt someone. So let's see how many of these you might recognize. The first how not to is just be unaware bury the idea. And probably the clearest biblical example we have this of this was King David. Some of you remember the story when he saw Bathsheba, um, who was very beautiful, invited over for dinner, slept with her, got her pregnant, and then he tried to cover up what he did, in the end maneuvering to get her husband killed. And from the biblical account, he was either unaware he had done something so gravely wrong, or he was just so deep in his selfishness that he just buried the thought. Perhaps David had allowed his heart to become hard. Perhaps he'd stopped inviting God into his daily thoughts so he didn't hear God's whisper, God's gentle voice just saying, there's something wrong, you're doing something wrong. So that's the first how not to. Be unaware or bury the idea. Second, how not to. Act like nothing happened. 
We all know, uh, we know we've done something to hurt someone, but actually we ignore it, we play it down, we say it wasn't such a big deal, and we try to move on or even break off the relationship. Third, how not to, um, shift the blame. Anyone seen that in action? You know, he or she made me do it. You know, they did something to hurt me, they were responsible. And actually the reality is that Often there is some justification, but actually we try to avoid taking responsibility for our actions and we blame the one that we have hurt. And actually, even when we're the perpetrator, we think we're the victim. So how not to um, shift the blame. Fourth, how not to, this is one of my personal favorites, make excuses. I was tired, I was stressed, I'd had a really bad day at work. And this often comes out in the, I'm sorry, but. Have you ever heard, I'm sorry, but? Um, It's really difficult not to say that. Um, And the final how not to is say sorry, but do nothing. Actually, to say the words, but really not to mean them. Um, Just to do what you need to, to get over the awkward situation, to try and patch up the relationship and move on, but not really having any intent to change. And if we're brutally honest, I wonder how many of these we recognize in ourselves. How many of us are actually stuck in childish and immature patterns when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation? Or maybe that's just me. But let's now have a look at a biblical approach to dealing with the times we uh, have wronged or hurt someone and reconciling the relationship. And the first step is conviction. And this is when we become aware of the sin we've committed against someone. Without this, the relationship is dead in the water. For King David, this was when the prophet Nathan came and told him about a poor man whose pet lamb was taken by the rich landowner for dinner. And David reacted strongly against the injustice of that situation. And then Nathan said, you are the man. And suddenly, a spotlight just shone on David's actions. He became aware of his sin. He was thoroughly convicted. You see, conviction is the place where God tells you the truth about yourself and you acknowledge that he is right. I'll say that again. Conviction is the place where God tells you the truth about yourself and you acknowledge that he is right. So let's keep our hearts soft. Actually, I think that's something the Lord is saying to us this morning. Let's keep our hearts soft. Keep close to Jesus. Keep accountable to others. It's from this convicting place that we're actually able to think healthily about ourselves and the person that we've hurt. So step one is conviction. Step two is confession. Verbalize what you did wrong. I made a derogatory comment about you. I ignored your point of view. Whatever it is, don't rush into saying sorry, actually. I thought this was helpful for me. Um, Because while it's unhealthy to stay in the place of confession for too long, actually to sit in that place, even if it's a place of pain, for a little time, actually helps you to generate compassion for the person you've hurt and can help them to really acknowledge their hurt. So step two is confession. 
Step three is apology. So say sorry. Own your actions. Avoid putting that but at the end. And this takes self-control because there may have been other factors. The other person may have wronged you um, in some way uh, as well. But just apologize for your part because you want that clean conscience before God. And express your heart's desire to reconcile. So step three is apology. Step four is a repentance. And this is where we change our mind and our behavior. And some people may only want to change their mind. They kind of recognize that wasn't great. But there's maybe not a solid intent to change their behavior in future. Others might only change their behavior because they get caught or because there's a consequence for that behavior. But actually repentance is both heart and mind changing and behavior changing. Step five is restitution. So if you've stolen money from someone, that's pretty easy. It's not enough to confess and apologize and repent. Actually, you've got to pay back the money that you've stolen. But most of the time, it's not as easy as that. Um, when you've gossiped or slandered, it might mean going back to the people you've gossiped to um, and setting the record straight. If it's emotion or maybe you've damaged somebody's heart, you've broken trust, it's much more challenging. You've got to do what you can to rebuild that trust. And this can be tricky, so you might need wise, mature Christian advice to help you navigate through this. And then the final step is restoration of relationship, the clearing up of the relational damage done by sin. The relationship might not go back to exactly where it was before, but it becomes alive and functional. Peter, one of the original 12 apprentices to Jesus, had betrayed Jesus in his hour of need. Um, three times, actually. And let's just fast forward to John chapter 21. 21. I'll read from verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. There's a lot in this little passage. <clears throat> but all I want to draw out this morning is that Peter and Jesus were reconciled. They were back in relationship. And more than that, actually, Peter is restored to a position of trust and responsibility, feeding Jesus' sheep. <clears throat> Reconciliation is going to look different for each situation. And you might need to meet with a mature Christian for advice and prayer. You might need to visit the healing hour to receive prayer. Um, but the end goal is that you're actually back in relationship with the other person. You've worked through the wrong and the relationship is restored. Two brief comments. First, note that you just can't skip to the end. That's what I would want to do. How do you avoid the difficult stuff and just get there? But actually, in order to get to the reconciliation point, 
the other steps are important. And the second point is this, just reconciliation isn't always possible. Sometimes the person who is wronged will not want to reconcile. So uh, reconciliation can remain your hope and your prayer, but it might not be possible um, in, in, in the immediate term. And sometimes if you're the person who's hurt and it's a serious situation, uh, particularly where there's abuse, reconciliation is not wise, it's not healthy. Actually, if you're in a situation like that, getting advice from mature, wise Christians uh, would be really helpful. And as I finish, actually, I just want to highlight what God has done for us. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 19, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Jesus took the first step towards us by paying the price for our sins. And by his spirit, he's convicted us of our sins and lovingly drawn us to himself, reconciling us so that we can again have a relationship with him. And so we too can share a message of reconciliation. And we do that with our words, but we also do that in how we practice reconciliation with each other in our actions. So just as we think about application, some of you might know exactly what to do in response today. The Holy Spirit has already put a situation or a person on your heart, and you know you need to take a first step towards reconciliation. That might actually just be yourself acknowledging that um, you've hurt that person and sort of acknowledging that before God. Or it might be picking up the phone and calling them to talk about what you've done. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So maybe as the band just get ready to lead us into worship, um, Actually, even before worship, you might need to take a first step or just make a note and plan a time to take that first step. I think for others, I wonder whether this time of worship may be a time of searching ourselves, of softening our hearts. Actually, when we were praying just before the service, Alice just prayed uh, that we would have soft hearts. And it's something really just on, on my heart. I think, I think God might want us um, or just to soften our hearts before him this morning of opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's gentle whisper and of doing whatever he says. So let's just pray for a minute. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have led by example. God, thank you that you have reconciled us to you. And it's from that position of being forgiven much 
and of knowing the joy of reconciliation that we can be reconciled to others. So God, I pray that as a church family, that you would mark us by grace. Help us to have a soft heart towards you and help us to be a family that whenever there is hurt, even though we try to avoid causing it, but whenever there is, we forgive and we reconcile well. And in doing so, let us be a light and a beacon and a message to this community around us. In Jesus' name, amen.